Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word that never changes. I thank you for your spirit that empowers us, equips us, enables us. So I pray that you open our hearts to your word even as we open your word to us and fill us with your spirit. I give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, kind of did a lit review of different verses about the Bible saying why Jesus came. Then last week we talked about a lit review of times where Jesus specifically said, I am, fill in the blank, ego a me. This week we're going to do another lit review where we're going to talk about three guesses as to why. Love. We're going to talk a little bit about times where the Bible specifically tells us to love one another. Do you, can you think of any specific verse? Not just, yes, I know it does. I know you know it does. Can you think of a specific verse where we're specifically told to love one another. Because I, I know that everybody knows the Bible says that, but then everybody knows why Jesus came, right? And yet, when we looked at the times where Jesus specifically said why, there might be a consistency or a specificity there that might have surprised people a little bit. And we know that he said, I am fill in the blank. But there might have been a sheer tonnage of times where he said that or, or times where we didn't realize, oh, that's why that person reacted that way. It can be helpful to look at the specifics of some of these repetitive verses. And, and I should say, maybe I should back up and, and remind ourselves what we mean by love. Because especially this week, everybody's going to be thinking googly-eyed romantical love, which is great. Or people might be thinking, oh, I, I, I have a special feeling of connection to my child or to my friend or to my brother or my sister or, or what have you. Um, or I really love... Uh, our nation. I really love the, the Kansas City Chiefs. I really love good pizza. We're not talking about any of that. That's not what biblical love is talking about here. It can include some of those things, but it's not what it's about. When we're talking about biblical love, it's not about romance or families or patriotism or pleasurable feelings, though that a lot of those can be applications of it. But biblical love is this moral decision, this desire to, to commit yourself to meeting the needs of another human being, whether you feel like it or not, whether you like them or not, whether they're cute or not, it doesn't matter. So it can include romance, it can include family, it can include people you like to hang out with, it's just not what it's about. Too many boyfriends, too many girlfriends, too many people trying to make friends, too many parents can too often believe that to love someone or, or, or to be loved by someone requires us to try to make them happy and comfortable. We want to focus on what, what they want us to be or what we want to be for them. And too many of us believe that being comfortable with our beloved is what love is all about or making sure that our beloved is comfortable and as a result we, we conform to comfort that becomes what our love looks like but that's how you get empty marriages and and friendships that break up in nasty bitterness and spoiled and angry children and confused and exhausted parents have you ever noticed that an amazing number of spoiled children that have gotten everything they ever wanted are angry at life shouldn't they be happy if you let them do what they wanted to do, if you let them speak the way they want to speak, if you let them do what they want to do, they're giddily happy and well-adjusted, yes? 
Or is your child angry and frustrated, grumpy all the time? You go, because you're not giving them what they need, giving them what they want. An amazing amount of love is not giving people what they need. And sometimes it's not even what keeps them safe. Sometimes if you love someone, you go, now I'm going to put you in an unsafe position because that's what you need. And I want to commit myself to meeting the needs of another human being. I've given you so much time. Did you come up with any verses in your head, specific verses? Good, good, because there's a couple in there. So you probably came up with some different ones. Hopefully you've got it in head. One of the first ones is Jesus, remember near the end of his life, you get to that last chunk of Christ's ministry and you see both Jesus at his most pointedly, y'all wrong, right? I'm going to kick you out of the temple. I'm going to knock over your tables. And I'm going to give you a sermon on loving one another. His most, and his most, I love you. At the same time. Because everything's just getting a lot in that last chunk of time. So in John 13, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. That's pretty straightforward, right? I don't even need to preach through that. You understand that, right? Love one another. Y'all do that. It's a command from Jesus, from Christ, and you're all Christians, so you all always do that, yes? Shortest sermon ever. Let's pray. (laughs) But then he continues, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's a little less straightforward. Because when we say that, we could think, oh, he means love big. Big love, lots of love. Love each other a lot. But two chapters later, Jesus says in chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what I'm doing for you people. And three chapters earlier, he had said, I am the good shepherd. We talked about this last week. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, the hired hand, they don't, because they're just hired hand. They don't own the sheep. But the good shepherd lays down his life. Put it all together for a minute. It's not saying, I want you to love big. He's saying, I want you to love the way that I love. Love each other enough that you lay down your life to love them. Not necessarily dying for them, but making what's best for them more important to you than what feels best to you. What's what's important for them, what's best for them, is more important to you than what you felt like doing and being. Don't just love them like a hired hand going through the motions. Love them like they're your prized possession. Like you're the shepherd of the sheep. Love like that. You go, yeah, I love my children like that. Right. Now love everyone like that. What happens if we all loved everyone like that consistently? It would make that embassy a lot easier, wouldn't it? Link it to what Jesus says in chapter 15 of John using the transitive property of mathematics. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. I'd like you to love one another like I loved you, but also as the Father loved the Son. Do we do that? Do we do that consistently? Loving everyone around you like God the Father loved Christ? Christ loved the world so much, the world that hated him, that he was willing to come and die to love and save those yahoos. 
That's where we started with the whole, why Jesus came. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Scripture says, I came to seek and save the lost. You know, these yahoos that don't believe in me and stand against me. Those are the people. That's why I'm here. That's love. And he's like, now love one another like that. Is there anybody on the planet that you find yourself going, <coughs> about? Anybody on the planet that you find yourself going, oh, yeah, that guy, I can't even stand that human being. You know what? There's a 57% chance you feel that way about at least one presidential candidate. <laughs> That's unbiblical. It's like Paul says in Philippians 2.3, he says, I do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vain conceit. I don't want you to be thinking about yourself in this, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves, which people misunderstand. He's saying, value other people above yourself, not in a self-deprecating way. Jesus wasn't self-deprecating. You're, you're better than me. No, no. But value what they need over above what you want. Treat them like they're the fine china, which is all that Peter's getting at when he's talking about the weaker vessels in First Peter. Treat them like they're the really fragile, important things that you need to take care of. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and in the grammar, he's, he's, he's not just saying, if you happen to notice. He's like, look for what other people are struggling with. Be in relationship with them. Look for what they need and meet those needs. Your attitude should be like that of the same as that is Christ Jesus. Do that as I have loved you. I want you to love one another, Jesus says. And pointedly, Jesus said back in Matthew 5, if you love those who love you, what reward is, is that? What are you going to get for that? Even the tax collectors do that. Tax collectors are doing that. Our whole job as Christians is to live as ambassadors of a better kind of love. If we only love the people that we naturally love, if Christians only love Christians, if Christians only love our flavor of Christians, the rest of them we can just throw to the wolves. You're not a Baptist. Well, you're not our kind of Baptist. You're not our particular version of Baptist. I know. If conservatives only love conservatives, if liberals really only love liberals, how are we any different from the rest of the world? How are we any different? We're exactly like them. We show exactly the same sort of priority structure. Jesus said, I, a new command I give you in John 13. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men are going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another, which is what Peter again is getting at in 1 Peter 3 when he's talking about doing everything you're doing with gentleness and with respect. So even if they don't agree with you, they're ultimately going to give God glory because they see what kind of people call themselves the people of God. So help me out. What do we show about God as ambassadors? If we show people God by showing him the people of God, what are we showing when we bite and snip and demean and diminish and or just gently ignore one another? What do we what embassy do we show? What kingdom do we show if the kingdom of God looks exactly like everybody else's kingdom? Well maybe even everybody else is but a little bit more judgmental. No, no, everybody else is but a little bit less judgmental. Why? We're incredibly tolerant of anything anybody wants to do. 
what do we show people about God's love when we don't love the way that God loves? Jesus is clear this is not just a good idea. This is not just a, a nice practice to get into. Just love big. He says our active conscious love, or not, is what's going to demonstrate whether or not we're actually living like his people. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And if you don't, what then are you showing people? In John 15, he he continues, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remain in his love. My command is this, my command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. He keeps saying that. Why does he keep saying that? Why does he keep saying that? Didn't he just need to say it once and move on? Or is it that we tend not to love that way? We tend not to love? We tend only to love the people we love? Or we tend to only love on the terms that most echo our own hearts? We just shine it up nice, but it's still just our love? But our hearts are broken and tainted and they're already conformed to this world. I want to reflect God's heart. I want to love like God does. But if we don't love, if we're not actively seeking to help one another, if we're not avoiding the sniping that we do or blithely ignoring people, if we don't love, if we're not obeying God's commands, then we're not obeying God's commands, right? There's a, there's a word for that. There's a little itty-bitty word for that in Scripture. What's the little itty-bitty word in Scripture for when you disregard the specific commands of God? That would be sin. When we don't love, we're sinning. It's amazing. There's an amazing number of people that, that believe it's more important to just love than to focus on following the Bible's commands. I, a friend of mine just recently on Insta Face Twit posted, um, we, just, we need to get past all this doctrine and just do what Jesus did. Love everybody, accept everybody where they're at, don't judge anybody for anything. I'm like, oh, okay, by that token, I should totally just have let Megan and Alex just stick forks in their eyes constantly if that's what they really wanted to do to actualize themselves as children. Right? Well, it's bad for them. Yeah, but who are you to judge? Ah! I don't want to deal with that. As a good, thank you for waking up. As, as a good father, as a good shepherd, I was fine with making sure I let my children cry and sat with me because I didn't let them do something harmful. You don't love me. If you love me, let me stick a fork in my eye. If I love you, I won't let you stick a fork in your eye. Now, I say all this because there's also an amazing number of people on the other side that say, yes, that's just ridiculous. Following Christ's commands is so much more important than warm fuzzies, than loving others. Doctrine is more important than the relationships and the people you're steamrolling, Right? But Jesus is very clear. If you are loving without basing that on scripture, it's not really love. If you're letting people do what feels good to their broken hearts, that's not love. That's forks in the eyes. But 
If you're focused so much on doctrine that you are steamrolling and hurting the people you're supposed to be loving, you've already disregarded scripture. You're not doing it right. You go, well, I'm focused on doctrine. And you're botching doctrine because Christ's doctrine over and over is love one another. It doesn't necessarily mean warm, fuzzy hugs. It does say, wait, what do you need? How do I show you that you matter and that what is necessary for you is what's most important to me? Or do you sit there and you go, well, Emily's horribly wrong and I want nothing to do with her. And you go, how is that loving toward Emily? But she's horribly wrong. You go, and now so are you. At least as wrong as she ever was. If she ever was. Love each other as I have loved you. This is an argument for service and for outreach, but also for not picking again one another. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says in this context, that he laid down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. And if you don't, are we friends? No, I I don't want to ignore Christ's commands and call myself a Christ follower. This is my command, he says again in verse 17, love each other. He says it again. He talks about love eight times in four verses. Help me out. Is that statistically significant? This isn't about Valentine's Day. This isn't about cute baby pictures. Love the baby pictures. This isn't about puppies or or fandom for football or Star Wars, whatever your persuasion. This is about reflecting God's heart. Setting your own ego aside and say, it's not what I want. It's not even what you want. It's what would God want for you? How do I help you in that? I have an obligation to follow this command. Paul talks about an obligation. Um, he talks about obeying our authorities, even, even the, the messed up authorities in, in things as mundane as paying your taxes, right? Uh, in, in Romans 13, he says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, pay respect. If honor, then honor. And he's talking about Rome, right? He's talking about financially supporting the people who have invaded and occupied his own country as an act of worship to God, to show your respect for God. Speak against them. Speak truth, but honor the institution itself. Show some respect for the office. This is in case any of you come up to me in November and say something about not my president. I'm going to throw Romans 13 back at you, so don't even start with me on that, okay? Speak truth. Vote truth, but with gentleness and with respect so that even the people you were standing against go, oh, your heart isn't just that you're a Republican or just that you're a Democrat. It's that your heart is honoring Christ. But he continues by saying, let no debt Pay your taxes, pay your honor, pay your respect. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow men has fulfilled the law. And fellow men, that's an interesting word. The NIV doesn't know what to do with that word. And let's be honest, most of your translations don't. Everybody's kind of got their own version of that. It's an interesting word to choose here because Paul's smarter than me. And he picks interesting words. And the word he uses here has this emphasis, not just of somebody other, but of something capital O, other. Not just another person. No, that which is not you that which is alien, that which is other. 
seek the other and show love there. For he who loves the alien, he who loves the so clearly not you, has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, classic Ten Commandments. And whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, Jesus said that one. Remember when Jesus said that one? They're both quoting the Old Testament. Of course, when he said that one, someone said, okay, but who constitutes my neighbor? I mean, because I'm a lawyer, and you know, what does the word is mean? Anybody remember what he did in response to the question? Yeah, well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who exactly is my neighbor? Told a, he told a parable, right? Where you should emulate a really good Samaritan. Capital, yeah, boo, thank you. The capital O, other. Who should I be a neighbor to? Should I be a neighbor to the Samaritan? Now I'm taking a step further. Be as good at that as the Samaritan is good at this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, Paul says. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the whole law. And I love that as a snapshot. Do no harm. Nice Hippocratic oath for everybody. Do no harm. No physical harm. No emotional harm. No spiritual harm. No relational harm. How many of you have screwed this up at some point in your life? You have. Do no harm, either by what you do or by the omission of what you should have done. Do no harm. Even harm that comes from a lack of doing anything loving. Do no harm. Where you step, where you speak, let nothing but genuine improved love be the imprint of your passing. And I don't just mean warm fuzzies. I mean love, where you have committed to meeting the needs and you say, what you needed, you got because I was in the room. In God's grace and by God's strength, as much as it depends on me, I want to love. And I want to create more love to reflect God's love. And that might mean that your baby smiles when you walk past because he looks at you and goes, Dad's here, and that makes everything better. But that also might mean that your baby cries because you spoke to her, because you didn't give her what she wanted that was harmful. So you can't judge the wake by who smiled versus who cried. It has to be who is being reflected and why. Whose heart is being reflected and why. Remember the first thing we talked about in parenting class when we did our parenting? It start with self-discipline. Go, wait, why am I doing what I'm doing? I have to have a consistency with this that doesn't come from me. I need to try to honor God and reflect God. And whatever I do, I need to do this in a way that values the people around me more than it values myself, more than what I want, without devaluing myself. And and I want to have a love that keeps doing that. Paul prays at the church in Thessalonica. He says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you could be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. I want you to just continue to do this. I want it to, your love to grow, and I want it to enrich. Love only fails when we fail it. Love itself never fails. Sometimes we fail to love. But love itself just increases. 
Leaving out holiness in our lives as, a, as an act of loving one another in the form of loving one another in a way that Christ loved. And his love never studies, stutter, stutter stepped. I actually stutter stepped in the word stutter stepped. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul says it's, it's, it's not this selfish, temporal, sensual lust that the world is talking about. God didn't call us to be impure, he says, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction, you don't reject man, but you reject God, who gives you his Holy Spirit, which harkens back to Christ's argument, doesn't it? He's like, if you're not consciously taking the care and effort to actively love one another, even in the midst of conflict, you're not just rejecting those people you're rejecting, but you're rejecting the God who made them, the God who loves them, the God who commanded us to love them as he loves them. Yeah, but I'm in conflict with them. More's the better opportunity to show how Christians love. Disagree with them. Stand up and disagree with them. Disagree with them in the midst of the assembly because you love them and want to help them. Not because you're angry with them for being wrong. Paul says, now, verse 9, about brotherly love, I don't need to write you. You guys got that down. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That's great. In fact, you do. You love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do it more and more. Just keep growing in that. Love each other. And in God's strength and by God's grace, love each other more and more. Work on it. Strive for it. Remind yourself with sermons like this how important it is. Build it into a life discipline as a holy act of worship. In fact, that, that whole idea of, of, of holiness tied with love is what Peter writes about talked about Jesus, talked about John, talking about Paul, Peter. Peter wrote about not conforming to the evil desires that you used to have. And he didn't just mean the juicy stuff like being a murderer or sexual sins or things. It includes the subtle evils of despising or belittling your sister or your brother. Simply not actively loving them like Christ commanded us to love. Peter wrote about living holy lives that reflect the character and the holiness of God the Father. He said in 1 Peter 1, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, well then, love one another deeply from the heart as an act of moral purity, an act of holiness. Make sure that that's not just lip service like a hired hand, but you're really doing this. It reflects who you are. For you've been born again, he says, not not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You're not just you anymore. You're not just what your parents taught you for good or for ill. You're not just the sum total of your life experiences. You're the sum total of God's experiences as well. Two chapters later, Peter fleshes this out and says, well, what would that look like? Chapter three, he says, all of you be like-minded. Have the same priority and paradigm as each other. Be sympathetic. Love one another like brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Don't do what the world does. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Don't reflect the world you were born into. Reflect the world you've been reborn into. Now, if you're anything like me, even as a Christian, there will be times where somebody has done something to you that was not nice. And you were not nice in return. You ever done that? I've done that 
three times in my life. Not once, thrice. If I'm understanding scripture correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, all three of those times, that's a sin, isn't it? Because it's going contrary to what God is telling me to do. Peter's straight up telling me, don't do it that way. Somebody barks at me, I bark back at them, and you go, and this sin. It's a little one. Hey, all sin is toxic. All sin is toxic. I don't want to do that. I don't want to just love the people who love me. I don't want to just love the people on my side of the fence. I don't want to just love people as if I'm going through motions. I don't want to just love people because I'm like, oh, Kevin said I had to. As long as I remember this sermon for the rest of the day, i got to do it. I want to love people as if we were related by blood because we are, right? Not heredity, but Christ's blood. This isn't about me. This is not about getting out of life what I wanted out of life or even out of the day. This is about reflecting the eternal life I've been given. So again, Peter says in chapter 4, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray and above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Not this fragile, sensual, temporary thing that the world calls love. Well, I really, really like it. But the version where Christ says, I'm willing to lay down my life because I value your life more than I value mine. The Apostle John, one of Christ's cousins, wrote about just how important it is to actively, genuinely love. In 1 John 3, he says, this is how we know who the children of God are. This is how we know who the disciples are, who the followers are, and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who doesn't do what is right is not a child of God, nor anyone who doesn't love his brother. That's kind of intense, isn't it? You're not just, oh, I'm not doing it right. He's like, this is how you know that you're following Christ versus following the devil. Are you loving? Well, not actively. Huh. Can you love God and yet disregard his commands and despise his child? This is the message you heard from the beginning, John says. We should love one another, pointing back to John's gospel. And he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Willing to die for them, sure, but willing to live for them. Dear children, he says, let us not love with words or tongue. Don't just give it lip service and then be functionally uncaring, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth. By this, all men are going to know that we're Christ's disciples if we love one another. It's not just a matter of not hating each other. It's not just a matter of going to a soup kitchen and giving people a sandwich. Those are great. But it's why we do any of that. Because we want to minister them. We want to meet their needs, their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, their relational needs. It's, we want to do the exact opposite of harm in everything that we're doing. Did you make that situation that evening, that time, that moment better, healthier, or worse? What did you do, and why did you do it? To call ourselves Christians, and yet to fail to prioritize loving, is a biblical contradiction in terms. To the degree to which you think, I'm just 
can't stop being so disgusted with that person. I, don't, I just, I don't even want to have anything to do with it. To the degree to which we entertain that, we have pushed God out of the room. This is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Doctrine living its way out horizontally in love. And he circles back to that at the end of the letter in chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. And sometimes we do that backwards. We decide what we mean by love and then apply that back to God and so we can limit God. God can't have wrath. He's love. And because I misunderstand both those terms. It's not what Paul or what John is getting at here. What he's saying is, is that that if love, true love, really is pure and holy, then love, real true love, is finding its source in God. It has to come from God. Our love, when it's at its purest, is a reflection of God's love, not the other way around. And God's love is perfect and unchanging, selfless and focused on undoing harm. This is how God showed his love among us, John says. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't that why Jesus kept saying he came? Remember that sermon? Over and 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 over redundantly. That's what Jesus kept saying. This is love, John says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins to bring us back into a healthy relationship with God. Dear friends, verse 11, beloved, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Didn't he literally just say that in verse 7, four verses earlier? Are they getting paid by the word? I mean, why is he keeping repetitive? Let us love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we're here, is to reflect God's love. In fact, in 2 John chapter 1, verse 5, he makes a similar appeal. I am not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. Remember, Jesus? I'm not, I'm not this isn't, Jesus said this is a new command. I, it isn't. He said it. I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in in love. To obey Christ, to have sound doctrine, is to truly love those around us. And to truly, truly love those around us requires that we base that love in obedience to Christ and his word. Am I being redundant or is the Bible being redundant? Jesus said this and Paul said this and Peter said this and John says this over and over and over again. If we're not careful, if we're not very, very conscious about how serious this is, our love can be a vapid, thoughtless Passive situational thing. More about us feeling nice today than anything else. And if we're not really, really careful, our love can devolve all the way back into being exactly what it was before we realized what we were and what we've been saved from. And we look exactly like the world. You go, no, 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 no. I don't look like the world. I don't love the things the world does. I'm like, oh, no, no, you misunderstand. You may not love the things the world does, but you love exactly the way that the world does. I used to love this and only this. And now I love this and only this. Shifted focus, same muscle. 
To sum up, I've already gone on too long. John 13, 34, Jesus says, love one another, love one another. He says it twice in one verse. 35, he says, love one another. John 15, 12, he says, love one another. John 15, 17, he says, love each other. Romans 13, 8, Paul says, love one another. 13, 9, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, he says, make your love increase and overflow for each other. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, he says, love each other. 1 Thessalonians 4, 10, love all the brothers and do so more and more. In 1 Peter 1, 22, Peter says, love one another deeply. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, love one another like brothers others. 1 Peter 4.8, he says, love each other deeply. In 1 John 3.11, John says, love one another. 1 John 3.23 says, love one another. 1 John 4.7, he says, love one another. 1 John 4.8, he says, whoever does not love doesn't know God. 1 John 4.11, he says, love one another. 1 John 4.12, he says, love one another. 2 John 1.5, he says, love one another. Do you see a pattern? And do you understand why I'm being this repetitive? This is not a command, and it's not even a new one. And yet, if there is one command, if there is one sin that we as Christians repeatedly have a problem with, it's this repeated command. We don't do this like we should. But when we do, beloved, when we do, when we love people, in a way that the world doesn't, hey, notice. When our love reflects Christ's love, not our own, people look there and go, what? Why? How? Which is exactly what Peter says. Always be able to give an answer to anyone who asks you, what's up with you? But do this with gentleness and respect. How many times does the Bible have to say something before it's true? How many times does the Bible have to say something before we do it? We, we sometimes still belittle, despise our enemies. We, we sometimes withhold love from people. We sometimes treat each other with a lack of love. We, we forget to prioritize love. Or sometimes in our love we say, I'm trying so hard to make them happy and comfortable that I fail to love because I'm too busy making them happy and comfortable. And I make my positivity my focus instead of loving them. This week as we come to Valentine's Day, I genuinely hope that you guys love your romantic partner. If you've got one, great, hug them. That's great. I, I think that's a, an act of worship, an appreciation to say, Lord, thank you for the person you gave me. That's great. But this week, focus on genuinely loving all those around you. Loving all those around you. Not just being nice. Committing yourself to meeting their needs. If you do this right, your children will probably like you a smidgy bit less by the end of the week. If you do this right, your children will love you and appreciate you quite a bit more ten years from now. Don't do I wish you well, go and be well, warm and well fed. I, I'm going to give you a sandwich and that's kind of like giving you Jesus. How do I make you happy so that you stop making a fit? I love you because I'm a nice person. No, make the moral decision to say, I value what you need more than what I want. How do I reflect God so that you say, you're right, that's God. And there's something different. And it changes you.
Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you help us to love so much more than we can love. I'm going to stink at this this week. But I thank you, you never do. So as long as I reflect you, I'll do it right. As long as I try real hard to do it, I'm going to screw it up. But as long as I just reflect you who never screwed up, that's going to look good. So I pray, Lord, help us just to reflect you, to do so consciously, to scrub off our mirrors so that we can reflect you the best that we can, to look for opportunities to do that, to the point where people might even look at us and go, how can you love that person? How can you say you love that person when they're so not this person? Help us to love one another so that all people can look at us and see your disciples and give you glory. Amen. Would you please stand again and join us for our final song?